Hey voters, election night is around the corner. We're going to be live on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely talking about the polls and catching up on all the, the results that are coming across the state. We'll also probably be eating McDonald's, the Golden Arches. Maybe pizza. We'll see. Oh, yeah. We could do some pizza. Could do some pizza. I don't know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> we'll have special guests and unparalleled analysis of what to watch out for. And we hope to see you there. Also, if you haven't voted already, make a plan to vote. Make Election Day vote. is in only a few days from now. It's next Tuesday. Make a plan to vote. Bring friends with you. Whatever it takes. And if you can't catch us on Instagram, be sure to check out our podcast as the next one to drop after these episodes will be our election night coverage. Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today we are Dangerously Likely to talk about the polls. So Terrell, what if you were the brand new owner of a new Hummer EV? What would you say, Terrell? That's your what if? <laughs> That's what you're going with here? For our viewers, if you don't follow cars, GM just released the brand new Hummer. It's electric and it starts at, I believe, $80,000. Mm-hmm. That's pretty exciting. Is it? And Terrell's new favorite car is a Hummer. No. Well, why? Tell me why, Terrell. I'm not a big pickup truck guy. Actually, that's not completely true. I'm not a big GM guy. Why is that? I love F-150s. My family is a Ford family, even though I also have family that used to work for GM. Um, Is there any other reason why you don't like GM? No. Oh. My Ford is just like the, the company and the brand that... Like remind me of my childhood. I remember watching Gone in sixty seconds and mm. looking at Nicolas Cage break into and steal his Eleanor, his Mustang. And mm. ever since that moment, I always wanted a Mustang. And I've been dry. I've only driven Ford since I started driving. So it's hard to like switch, and I just don't buy into them. What would you do if you got a Hummer HV EV? I'd trade it in for a, a Ford Bronco. <laughs> Oof, I also don't want that. Well, I love the Ford Bronco. And yeah. that's all I have to say about it. I'll stick to my Fusion. No comment. <laughs> I drive, I, for all the viewers out there, I currently drive a Subaru Outback, and it's one of the best vehicles I've ever owned. But Terrell has also gotten me as well. I'm a little, I'm a big fan of Fords. Um, always been a Ford truck family as well. And mm. I've, for the most part, have always been pretty impressed by them um, especially their newer vehicles and i'm going to make a bold claim here i'm not going to back it up by evidence um ford's been making better vehicles for the last five to six years than companies like toyota really oh yeah but it takes a really long time for for company for car companies to lose the idea of of value retention interesting so toyota's what i mean by ford's making better cars than toyota is toyota is just behind the times in terms of technology. They're all a very my, conservative company historically. For all my car enthusiasts who are listening, I look forward to the emails and comments that you're going to give based on that comment. Yes, I actively challenge you to prove me wrong. I feel like it's my not baseless that hard. claim. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, speaking of baseless claims, 
you need to issue an apology to our listeners following our last episode. Listeners, first, I want to thank all of you for listening to us at all. Um, Because this next part is an apology. (laughs) The last episode, I believe it was called, and I quote, and everyone just claps. I made a claim in there and it was incorrect. What was the claim? I was talking, we were talking about same segment. What if segment we were talking about history? Yep. Well, if there's anything in history you could change, what would it be? Like, what if you could do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I really gave an answer for this one, but I talked about this Island called Oak Island that has something called the money pit on it. It's just big treasure hunt. People have been trying to find the treasure. It's awesome. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was also one of the treasure hunters, which is interesting facts. What I said was wrong. Did you tell them what you said? No, I haven't told anyone. (laughs) I don't think so. Okay, I'm just, I'm making sure I'm keeping up with our listeners right now. So I'm holding you accountable. Thank you, Terrell. Look, (laughs) um, I'm going to have to thank my mom and all of you should thank my mom as well because she pointed this out to me actually just earlier today and today is Tuesday. Um, She said she was listening to my pod, to our podcast, not just my podcast. Thank you, mom for being awesome. She also left a review. Thanks, mom. Thanks, dad, for doing that as well. And for my sister. Just get to the fact that you made a, a misclaim. You're I really I, dancing around that topic. The geographic location of Oak Island was incorrect. I said off the coast of Newfoundland, when in fact it's Nova Scotia. So I hope that all of you can take that away. And I hope you forgive me for my ignorance and incompetence. Your Northern Idaho accent really came through there. I appreciated it. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Anyways, I would definitely choose a Ford Bronco over a Hummer. Um, Ford Broncos are sexy. Oh. They're better than Jeeps already, and they're not even out. Is this before? And there's a legacy. I was going to say, is this before or after the cop chase? How (laughs) sexy are they before the cop chase? How sexy are they after the cop chase? (laughs) Fun fact to our viewers, Ford was almost releasing the Ford Bronco on the on the cop chase, the OJ Simpson cop chase it was on date. His, it was on his birthday, not the date of the chase. Can we redo that? I don't want to <laughs> again. To our viewers out there, Ford almost released almost released the Ford Bronco on OJ Simpson's birthday. Birthday. Yeah. And they went, oh shit. And changed made it. Made some quick changes because <laughs> Can you really have a Bronco without associating it with OJ Simpson anymore? Oof. Even but, the new one, I feel like. They look nice. And Terrell, honestly, I'm not a crazy colors on car cars type of guy, but I would get the cyber orange color on mm. the Bronco, which looks yellowish orange, and it's very pretty. You and your oranges. I do love orange. To our viewers out there. <laughs> I stick to my metallic Purple. green. My metallic green. My car's metallic purple. I do like purple, but my car's metallic green. It looks charcoal. Yeah, I know. It's not green, folks. It is Folks, that's a bunch of malarkey. Oh, my God. Direct quote from Joe Biden. I have some headlines for all of you. What headlines are we hitting on? What are what are the things that you were noticing? All right, y'all. Here's that headline I was talking about. 
Can Joe Biden close the deal on Tuesday night or the whole month of November? We'll see. Terrell, Joe Biden is currently up in the polls about mm-hmm. eight to 10 percentage points, and it's been very consistent over the last several months. One of the most consistent elections we've ever had. Despite all the crazy shit going on all across the U.S. and even the world. What do you mean crazy? This has been a normal year, you know? We're going to move past that. (laughs) Facial coverings, race, all the things. It's been normal. (laughs) Can you close the deal? Can you seal it? What do you think? Quick takes. On election night? Well, I just mean in terms of the election. Do you think he's going to win or do you think he's going to lose? I think he's going to win. Wow. That's all I have to say to that. With an asterisk. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what's the asterisk? It depends. Are we speaking just to election night? Because I personally don't think we're going to know who wins on election night. Are we speaking overall? I think overall he could win. But overall, for sure. We also have to take into consideration that the Supreme Court just ruled in a Wisconsin case that ballots won't be able to won't be allowed to be counted if they are received after um, the election day. We have multiple cases that are working their way through the judicial system right now. We just had a Supreme Court nominee um, be approved and appointed to the Supreme Court who will heavenly weigh into these decisions. And I personally think we're on the charting course to a Biden v. Trump Supreme Court um, case. But those are just my quick takes. What are yours? You know, actually, I I have another follow up to that. So over the past few days and even weeks, there's been kind of lingering news stories in the background of people predicting there be violence, depending on who wins the election. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Why? You have an individual who is gaming themselves in case they are to lose and essentially telling their the individuals that support them, hey, um, if I if the election results come in and I didn't win, it is the most rigged election in history. And it, again, don't fact check me on this, but I don't think we've ever as a country been in a, a position where the current occupant of the Oval Office has outright made it impossible for their challenger to win fairly. So you take that into consideration and you understand that if if that individual does win, um, his party might be happy and his people might be happy. But the the racial divide in this country right now is so steep. I don't see a space where um, further confrontations don't occur from there. So damned if you do, damned if you don't. I see us on a beating drum. Fascinating. Fascinating. You know, I, um, I could definitely see some kind of violence happening. However, I'm not quite on the, I'm not, I'm not quite on that train. I'm not quite on that train. I could see more. Well, you know, you know, Trump has been very good over the last, uh, four years now of inciting violence whenever he can, Mm -hmm. it seems like. And, um, I have no doubt that there's there's some Trump supporting militia groups that are thinking about doing something if their guy doesn't win. However, I just don't think that erupts into anything more. And I'm, 
maybe I'm just not there. I'm just not there. I need to wait to see what actually happens. And the truth, the fact of the matter is, is the election day on November 3rd, we're going to see some results. Yeah. And unlikely, but we could see who wins on election night, even without all the votes counted. But um, really only if Joe Biden won Florida or Texas would we'd be able to even be close to certain that Joe Biden's won the election. If he wins Texas. If he wins Texas, he's probably won. Riddle me this. Has the rise of threats against governors, namely Virginia, Michigan, um, the mayor of, um, uh, I forget what city in Kansas. Um, But have those, or do those instances tilt you either way on whether or not some type of violence might ensue or some type of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unrest might happen. Like I said before, I think some unrest might happen, but I can't tell if it's, if it truly is like a like a systematic approach to violence from many different groups, Mm -hmm. or if it is just some splotches here and there. I'm I'm not at a I'm not at a place that has it any more than some splotches here and there yet. Fair enough. But I could be wrong, and I really hope I'm not. And you, you know, it's just one of those things too where I'm still I still don't think anything if violence were to happen, I don't think it even happens next Tuesday because because we're not going to really know the results of the election for we got to be prepared for this. And I hope all of you listening are prepared for this. We're not going to know the results of the election for possibly the whole month of November, because on December 8th is when election results need to be certified. Mm-hmm. And that's probably when we'll, we'll have the final count from all states. There's a couple states. Um, there's a for those of you interested, there's um, in the kind of the election like group on the New, on the New York Times, they have an article that is does its best to predict like when we're going to get results in from each state, every mm-hmm. single state. So we should get pretty much all the results from Texas and Florida on the first night. And if Joe Biden wins Texas, then he's probably won. Although it's very, it's pretty unlikely. Unless he loses the blue wall, then it's still kind of a fair game. Well, it's unlikely that he wins Texas, but yeah. he could, he has a better chance of winning Florida. Yes. In Florida, if although it's Florida not, and Texas, then 100% well, he wins the game. It's definitely over if that happens. If he wins Florida, he we can still say with more certainty than not that he'll win, but there's it's not as likely as that he could win as if he won Texas mm-hmm. as well or just by itself. But um I think we all just need to be prepared that we're not going to know the election results on the New York times. As I was kind of saying earlier, they have, they predict they're predicting all of when all the States are going to have the results in. And there's a couple States in there. Some of them that we need to know that are like Ohio, for instance, I believe Ohio is one of them mm-hmm. um, where like they can count stuff on election night and election day. But after that, they're not allowed to, even tell you what the rest of the results are until their final certification day, which is November 28th. Mm -hmm. So you're in for a long couple, well, a long few weeks, weeks. three to four weeks, and hopefully not longer. Um, And hopefully this isn't tied up in the courts for a while either. That would be pretty Even though that is a few campaign strategies to 
mm-hmm. take a 50 state approach. Yeah. So 50 state approach, everything that's even remotely close sue. Anything that's up for question. Oh, California and Maine had a few ballot boxes catch on fire and questions of arson. Yeah. That causes some reason to take a pause and think otherwise. Oh, there are states that are already starting to clear their, um, or purge their voting rolls and make certain individuals ineligible to vote without notifying them or finding out and saying, oh, here are all these rules that you didn't know qualified for your ballot um, if you decide to vote early and mail it in. Now your vote's invalid. So I think there's a, I think there are a lot of challenges to voting that we are in it's starting to walk towards and it it is terrifying from a, a democratic sense of how does a, a democracy that has always claimed itself to be learning and growing survive all of these different outright attempts of suppression yeah no it's um like i said a lot of crazy shit's happening this year so terrell what do you think about this so so 69 and a half million americans have already mailed in their ballots or voted early in person now that's more than half that's more than half of the whole Mm -hmm. of of the people who voted in just 2016 yeah and they've already mailed in their ballots or voted earlier in person. So does that tell you anything about where this election is going? In a normal year, I would argue yes. But seeing as we are in the midst of a lot of unprecedented things, I am cautious to jump on the train that early voting directly relates to more democratic votes, uh, better representation of minority populations. And I'm more on the side of there's been a, a greater access to and a greater ability for people to vote, which is amazing and, and thankful. But just as much as a, a African-American male in their 50s might have voted in Idaho, um, so then could a white male in their 20s so no i think in a short way i i don't know if it tells me anything from who gets elected other than the fact that we're going to have a very high voting turnout which is amazing and and good because this election is so important not only is it important but it's always important for more people to vote Mm -hmm. and exercise that right um yeah so i mean I mean, the fact that 70 million Americans have already voted um, is kind of insane to me, but it makes sense in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Yes. How many do you think that turnout on the day of election on November 3rd is going to be very high in person turnout? Or do you think it could be low? Yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Being completely transparent, I remember you and I had a conversation about this not long ago where... I I pose the the example of um, does voter turnout in person skyrocket because the the conservative base is trying to prove a point and say ah it's not a real pandemic we we can go vote in person things happen like they normally do um, but I'm also curious and skeptical of 
do we turn on CNN on election day to a news reporter standing outside of a, a voting booth in North Carolina and only seeing two or three people come because so many people have voted early and, and we're starting to get to that space of um, maybe the barrels running drier than we thought. But Terrell, given the idea that kind of you just mentioned that like cons- like conservatives might come out and say, yeah, this virus isn't a big deal and come out in record record numbers to vote on election day in person. Um, isn't COVID one of the top issues amongst just Americans in general? Yeah. Does that lean into some of that conservative base? Yeah, actually, interestingly, the Gallup poll ran a comparative survey from their original back in uh, August 31st to September 13th for one that ran from September 30th to October 15th. You also saw you saw a 5% increase in importance that voters had um, regarding the coronavirus and regarding, regarding disease. Interestingly, interestingly enough, you also saw a 2% decrease in their view on the government and poor leadership as being one of those points that drove um, them as they headed into the polls. And when you really look at the breakdown of where that landed for um, Republicans and Democrats, specifically from a gender line, you see that a lot of men and women in the Republican Party focused on and saw the key issue being the economy. They saw that as the the reason they were going to vote. Actually, 48% of men, Republican men and 49% of Republican women in, pointed to and said that that was an important and key issue to why they were voting versus 19% of Republican men and 27% of Republican women finding the coronavirus to be of that high importance. You flip that to the Democrat Democratic side and see that um, by and large, the coronavirus is what's driving the Democratic base. Men are 59% saying that the coronavirus response is something that's at the forefront of my mind compared to 65% of Democratic women. So 100%, I think this virus is so um, so key to to what we're all experiencing right now, and so centered in where we're where we're hoping to see our country move beyond. But I do think that even from a, a partisan lens, there's some weight to be drawn on. Of you went to the polls for coronavirus, but it wasn't its response; it was its impact on the economy and who you think is better to serve um, in fixing that. Do you think that? So, okay. So in the last week, there's been an increase in COVID cases by 500,000, mm-hmm. um, which is, we're setting Insane. records again. Um, whether this is a third wave or possibly just still the first wave, who really knows at this point? Um, do you think that affects how conservatives think about COVID? In what regard? Oh, I just know a lot of, a lot of, these cases are starting to go up in more red states than blue states. Yeah. So for instance, in Idaho, where we're in right now, um, we're getting to the point where where some of our hospitals are, are full. So we live in an area in Idaho, kind of known as the Treasure Valley, but about four hours east of us in eastern Idaho, there's this area called, basically it's in the Magic Valley. And the Magic Valley hospital system is saying, 
okay, any children that come to us, we're going to transport to the hospital system in the Treasure Valley because we don't have capacity to take children in a safe manner with all these COVID patients. So as you can see, the situation is, is becoming a little bleak, not only in Idaho, but it's just across the rest of the US, even in North Idaho, where I'm originally from, the Panhandle Health District said, okay, we're putting COVID, the pandemic up here into code red. And then right afterwards voted to take away the mask mandate, which in fairness, in fairness to them, nobody up there wears masks. I know, I would know. But at the same time, it's like, why would you still vote to take it away? Mm-hmm. So the city of Coeur d'Alene right afterwards did vote to put, put it back in place, which is great for them. But why even take it away in the first place? Very confused there, Terrell. Don't understand the decision making. Yeah. 500,000 more cases. Yeah. You even have you even have the president himself who got COVID a few weeks ago. Can't seem to control it within his own administration. Mm-hmm. Mike Pence doesn't have it, but the people around him, we just recently learned, have it, right? Some of his team around him has it, like his mm-hmm. chief of staff is one of them. Um, and now you have... You have Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, coming out and saying, yeah, we're not going to control the virus. Yeah. It's a contagious virus. We There's no controlling it. Um, it just doesn't even feel like they care. It doesn't. And I Do they? Do you think they even care one bit? If you lean on the words, well, the transcript, actually, and audio recordings from Bob, Wo- Bob Woodward, no, they don't. <laughs> you you were able to say definitively that the the occupant of the White House knew that there was a clear and present danger for the country and to alleviate people and not cause hysteria decided to paint it as I know that the the um, fact check keeps saying that this is a a false statement, but I've watched the video eight times. He called it a hoax. And that's how he's stuck to it. He compared it Mm -hmm. to the Russia hoax. He compared it Mm -hmm. to um, the Ukraine hoax. He called it a hoax by comparison. Yeah. You know, and, and Vice President Mike Pence hears about some of his own staff getting COVID and is still doing rallies, big ticket rallies across the nation. Trump is still doing rallies across the nation, Compared which to, there has been evidence that has linked some of these rallies as super spreader yeah. events in those local communities. Yeah. Compared to the individuals running against them, Kamala Harris found out that members of her team at Tested Positive was pulled off the campaign trail for two weeks um, until they started getting negative tests and felt that they had a grasp of it. I think, I think it's hard to say that Americans aren't voting right now with an understanding that there are two different responses to this virus that mm-hmm. are on the ballot. There is one that trusts presidential. Science. I would, yeah, there's one that's presidential. <laughs> I, I was going to try to make an argument for it, but I couldn't. Um, but there's one that trusts science and there's one that's willing to, to do what is necessary, understanding that if you want the economy to be better, you have to get the virus under control at the same time. And then there's another that isn't presidential that is willing to suppress and tell states to be liberated when they're doing their best to um, to just save people. I, I don't know if you saw, uh, what's the movie called? 
there's a documentary that was released on Hulu um, centered around the White House response to the coronavirus. And it was fascinating to hear from one of the whistleblowers that released how we got to where we are, um, just how inept the White House is right now and how far out of their league they are while still touting that they're the best people for the job because they're not the same old politicians that America has grown used to. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty frustrating, but switching gears um, back kind of to the polls Mm -hmm. um, just today, actually, um, and to our viewers, we record most of the time on Tuesdays. Today is a Tuesday before we release on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, just today, we got news that the Trump campaign is shifting all of, all of its Florida ad spending basically out of Florida yeah. into the Rust Belt states, and he's putting all the rest of his resources there. So how much money is that? So let's get into numbers real quick. So just overall, um, since... Um, about Labor Day in September, Trump has had to cut about $24 million from his national ad budget, while Joe Biden's added almost $200 million. Um, Biden has outspent Trump basically about three to one over that time. Um, the president still has a, a few hundred thousand um, ad, ad dollars going to um, ads in Florida, but basically they have canceled five and a half million dollars um, in the final week. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't mean that the RNC isn't still kind of picking up some of that slack. They are now putting in $4 million in Florida as Trump has removed that five and a half million. However, in the last two weeks up until the election, Biden has put $16.7 million into Florida. Mm-hmm. And this is just really, to me, it's kind of showing that Biden just has this massive cash advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you look at the polls from Florida right now, um, there's a CBS News poll that was ran from October 20th to the 23rd. And even though it's within the margin of error, error, um, Biden's up by two points. And you see that consistently in other polls um, there where Biden just seems to have grown a lead in the state. So I have, my question for you, Caleb, is is that a smart move for the Trump campaign to make such a drastic pull this close to the election? Well, Terrell, that's kind of a difficult question to answer because Trump's campaign is obviously thinking that it's going to, if it's going to win, it's going to win in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, those Mm -hmm. States, right? Mm -hmm. Those States. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they're seeing in Florida, but Biden has a real chance here. Um, There's, been consistent polling showing Biden in the lead, even if it's by one or two points yeah. that you're right. That is within the margin of error, but, but the story here is that Biden has a real chance of winning Florida. And if he wins Florida, that could be the end of Trump. Yeah. That could be a, the, the end of Trump's presidency. So while the RNC is making up um, for Trump taking out ad funds, it'll be interesting to see if that, actually makes up for Trump kind of pulling out of the state with a week left. So also on that point, do you think it's wise for the Biden campaign to start making its moves towards Georgia and Texas? Um, I mean, you look at Georgia polls again within the margin of error, uh, Biden's up by one percentage point. Mm -hmm. And in the final week leading into 
what Biden has called the election for the soul of America. He is spending time in Texas and Georgia. Georgia hasn't voted blue since Bill Clinton, which granted isn't that long ago, um, but it, it that was the only time in recent history that Georgia has flipped blue. And uh, for Texas, we have to go even further back to Carter, um, but that was when they had a completely different um, amount of electors. So as we think about these polls and as we look at where they are in the margin of error, is the Biden campaign making the right call by saying we feel comfortable with Michigan and the nine plus lead that we see on those polls? We're going to expand our map. So this is also a difficult question to answer because we're just not really going to 100 percent know it until we have the results. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, I think Biden does get a little bit of criticism here because I think you're right. The Rust Belt states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, those are some of the battleground states that are probably some of the most important for Biden to win. So why is he spending time in Georgia? But I think on a surface level, you could say Biden's feeling confident that he's going to get those states and he's going to he's not only going to win the election, but he's going to crush Trump. And that's why he's in Georgia. But that, I think that's a very surface level analysis. Mm -hmm. I think if you dig deeper, there's a little bit more of a reason why Joe Biden is in Georgia today and why Kamala Harris was in Texas earlier. Right. And I think that for Joe Biden being in in Georgia, the the deeper reason is, yeah, there's a very good chance he could win Georgia this year, which would be very fantastic for him. Yeah. But um, kind of the deeper reason is that they also might win a Senate seat there. Fair. The yeah. Senate race is, is pretty tight as well. And Joe Biden um, making a push for a Senate majority for the Democrats is also a pretty big deal. It's not only for him there. Mm -hmm. It's almost the same thing with with Kamala Harris being in Texas. It's not not necessarily for Senate, um, but like, I mean, let's let's face it. If if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win Texas, this election's probably over. Hundred percent. But the so why are they but, but why are they sending it there? Spending time there because most of like it's more likely that Trump is just going to win that state. Um. Well, Democrats at the state level might regain the House, and that puts them at that gives them basically a seat at the table when it comes to redistricting, mm -hmm. which is a pretty big deal for Texas. Yeah. So that's why Kamala Harris is there, right? So there's obviously hidden meanings and reasons of why um, candidates are going to where they're going, but at the end of the day, like I think it'll be very it'll be more fascinating to watch what happens in the final days before the election, what their, how their schedules change, where they're going to go. Yeah. And with what? 75.8 million mail-in ballot requests versus 61.1 million already received. Uh, we're on the path to really see um, just an amazing turnout, but uh just what you hit on, how much and how great has the ability for each political party um, been to to meet at the state level, to meet at the the Senate and have real true conversations about what is the direction of this country? Because I, I know we're spending a lot of time talking about the president here, but um, I think to what you just mentioned, our country is ran by a multitude of institutions and systems. It's ran by the Senate and their ability to 
um, legislate. It's ran by the House and their ability to legislate and and um, hold executive offices accountable, redistricting all of those pieces. So I know we're getting into the weeds here on this episode, but I, I do want to ask quick take. Where do you think things fall? Do Democrats hold on to the House? Do they win the Senate? Um, we already kind of said where we feel about the president, but do you see any kind of surprises that come there? I mean, you you hear Lindsey Graham on Fox News every day now begging <laughs> for money because he he's genuinely fearful he's about to be ousted. Um, my hope is that Mitch McConnell gets ousted from Kentucky. So where do you think things kind of fall as we start to barrel towards November 3rd? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I feel better than I thought I would. I'm still nervous because anything can happen. And with all the all the news about different court decisions going on right now, there's reason to be nervous about it, right? You know, I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of 538. You know, I've been looking at their stuff for a while. Um, and I actually have a follow-up question about that in, after this answer. But, okay. but um, I mean, 538 has the, like, they have Democrats winning control of the Senate. Um, they have, it's a 70-something percent chance for Democrats to win control of the Senate right now in the 538 model. And that's just the probability of it. Democrats have a really good chance in a lot of to to win their Senate seats in a lot of different states, including states that <laughs> just aren't normal for them to win in. South Carolina, <laughs> South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia. Um, there's there was even Iowa. this might be a little outdated now, but a week and a half ago there was an internal poll, poll showing Doug Jones, the Senate Alabama or the Alabama Senate candidate, one point ahead in in the polls there mm-hmm. in. He's very largely he's largely expected to lose that race. I mean, you shared an article with me that Alaska randomly became a state that was up for conversation because the Democrats felt comfortable investing money in an independent candidate. Yeah, no. I so I actually feel pretty good about I think look, I think if Biden especially if Biden wins the presidency, I think the Senate does go to them Democrats. And I, I think I'm not worried about the House at all. Down ballot. I'm not worried about the House even if yeah, Trump wins. I don't I don't think the House is up for question at this point yeah yeah but do you you think straight down ballot it's if if joe biden wins at the top of the ticket more than likely americans didn't split their ballot and vote uh, other party you do you really think that it's a yes but even if joe biden wins i don't expect every single one of these close senate races to go the democrats way Mm -hmm. but i still think it goes enough of their way for a majority Fair I actually don't think it's just a majority with the uh, vice president Kamala Harris tiebreaker. I think it's like a couple more than that. Okay. I'm going to go out. I'm going to, that's a bold prediction for me, but um, <laughs> Terrell, I think to kind of cap off the rest of this little preview to what we're going to do on election day in terms of, in terms of all this polling discussion, I think a lot of people out there are maybe suffering from from some PTSD of what happened in the 2016 election in polling. Myself included. <laughs> <laughs> I think a little bit of myself now, but I'm also the I'm also very um, against the idea that the polls were that wrong. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question for you is yeah. is do you think to somebody who is having a hard time trusting the polls today, what do you say to them? That's a 
tough question. Um, <laughs> Hitting you with the final challenge. Yeah, because it's also a question that I, I asked my, I would have to tell, it's a question I would have to ask myself and then the response is something I would have to tell myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I I agree and I, I very much was the person who believed that the polls were 100% right in 2016 and we wouldn't be where we are today and life was just going to work out. Um, but I think to that person, I would challenge them to to hold on to or to lean into what they felt after that election and how they felt, um, how they just felt everything panned out. Because I, I do think that while the polls were enthusiastic of a Hillary Clinton win, it was also enthusiastic that there was going to be a larger turnout. And if we as Americans don't trust the polls, but then further don't go out to vote and don't go out to say what we really want to happen, um, we end up in the outcome that we didn't want to happen. So whether you trust them or not, and I don't know if this answers the question perfectly, but whether you trust the polls or not, I think my my advice to that person would be still, whether it were, even if it were to come out tomorrow that every state had Biden in the lead, vote like your life depended on it and vote like this election directly impacted or changed something monumentous to you because I, I genuinely think to your point that the polls weren't completely off and there, there is some, some space where we as Americans trusted the polls too much and then led to the outcome that they hadn't even anticipated. Yeah. You know, I, like I said before, I'm an advocate that the polls weren't that wrong. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't wrong, and I'm not saying that there yeah. were some that were really off or <laughs> some even punditry out there that was very enthusiastic that, oh, yeah, Clinton's got this in the bag. Don't At worry the New about York it. Times. And maybe a lot of the media outlets, too. Yes. but um, Almost all of them. Yeah. So, look, the fact of the matter is, is that, I don't know, I, I like 538 a lot. When they put together polls and stuff, they grade them. Mm-hmm. And 5382 also gave Hillary Clinton a very big chance of winning. They did. However, they were quick to recognize that Trump was only a polling error away. He was within the margin of error of winning the election. And that's what happened here. However, and again, I really appreciate Nate Silver's analysis from 538. What's different about now is a lot of these states that Biden is up in is he's up by well over a polling error away. Yeah. In a lot of these states yeah. that that we might be worried about. So even if there was a polling error like the one we saw in 2016, there's still a fairly good chance that Biden takes it. And one thing I think I would even lean on is um, in some of those states, the polling has changed. It, it's mm-hmm. become more frequent. I know multiple states in um, the blue wall, as it's been deemed, have been polling more frequently leading into the election to really get as best of a picture as they can of where are people in that state falling versus in 2016, where it was an assumption and almost a given that, oh, the Democrats have that. They've had those states for years. The last time those have ever um, flipped are with Reagan, and we just don't assume that. So I do think 
to your point and into what Nate has highlighted, um, there have been some changes that people might not recognize for polling to be as close to reality as they can be. I will say just a couple parting thoughts. I think that this election has been spectacularly stable in terms of polling. And I think that crazy. that does say something about how this election could go um, and is going at the moment. Also, I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, but I think that um, there was a lot of people in 2016 who went not a fan of either candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure it'll be fine. And some people just kind of assumed maybe it was for media. Maybe they just never thought that Trump could win, that Hillary was going to win. And for some reason they didn't vote. That's changed a lot this year because now everybody's like, I don't want to take anything for granted because I trusted, I trusted that Hillary was going to win based off what these polls and what this, the media environment was telling me, which now they are untrustworthy of because Trump won. Um, and now they're voting. So who knows? The polls might be extremely accurate this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can only hope I can genuinely yeah. only hope. And I, yep. I think that, I think that something monumentous would, and this is just an opinion, but I think something monumentous would have to happen for that to change. Cause I, I, to your point on um, not liking either candidate, I know multiple people who aren't big fans of Joe Biden and feel like he won't give the change that they're looking for. Um, but yeah, but there's no way that Joe Biden doesn't get you closer than Donald Trump does to the change you're looking for. And I think that's the key of where there was a, well, how bad could it be if Trump beat Clinton? That what if I think is very much diminished specifically on the Democratic side to say, no, we need to show up. We need to vote. And the while there's a lack of enthusiasm for Joe Biden, per se, Mm -hmm. the enthusiasm for change and for something better, I think, outweighs it. I agree. I agree. Cool. Well, everyone, that's it for today. But don't forget to vote. Make a plan to vote. Bring your friends. All the things. Bring your friends on Tuesday if you plan to vote in person. Check our social media if you need resources. And just stay stay in tune with what's happening around your area. If there are long voting lines, if there have been change in polling stations, um, we'll be sure to be sharing resources, whether it's through a post or just through our link tree, um, to make sure that you have the opportunity and resources to vote. And remember, uh, check us out next Tuesday for election night coverage. coverage. Yeah. Remember, unparalleled analysis. And we'll have guests, special guests. It'll be great. Um, It'll be check huge. us out. Oh, God. It'll be <laughs> huge. Check us out. And don't forget, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please rate and uh, leave a review for us. That would be so greatly appreciated. Tell your friends about us, too. Um, we're hoping to gain a little bit more traction. So, Thank you for listening. Thank you for helping us out any way you can. And Terrell? I think you hit everything. So I guess I have to say, I'm Terrell. And I'm Caleb. And we're dangerously likely to make a podcast.